0: Legal Discussion on Tip Today is brought to you in association with Lynch Solicitors, Clan Mel, on the web at lynchsolicitors.ie and at divorceinireland.com. And John Lynch from Lynch Solicitors joins me uh, now. Uh, You're going to talk to us about wills, but a very specific area, is that right? Yes, yes,
1: yes. The reason, I mean, we often talk about wills and we often talk about how to make a will and how important it is to make a will and... Obviously, I can't emphasise how how important it is to do it. But one of the things that sometimes you're faced with is a will where you consider that there isn't proper provision made for yourself in it. Well, obviously, Um, so you're looking at a situation where a will is made, but it's not made in a way that you're happy with. So... There's provision under, well, there's various provisions on the Succession Act to deal with situations where somebody makes a will, but actually it's not the way, if you like, policy would dictate it should be made. The most common one is provision for the spouse. So if you take that one as the most, you know, the most glaring example, if you like, this was introduced in 1965 by our friend Charlie Hay and he basically introduced what they call the legal right share. And the legal right share is a way of overriding the wills, the, the the will itself, or the intentions or wishes of the person who made the will. Because you see, one of the most kind of overriding uh, policy issues when you're making a will is that people should be able to make the will they want to make and the courts shouldn't intervene in that and that's testamentary freedom they call it a little bit like our you know laissez faire attitude to economics that you know let people do whatever and some people will argue that obviously you need some intervention and and in the commercial arena you do have intervention for example in the compi- competition legislation that you have in the EU so you can't have major you know institutions like Facebook or whatever you have to put sure. some sort of control on them so in the same way you're looking at a situation and an, an allied or a comparable would be, for example, planning permission. You know what I mean? If you look at planning permission, pr- planning permission is where the state intervenes in your use of your property and says you can't do this or you can't do that. So there always has to be a certain amount of intervention. So in the case of wills, there is an intervention. And as I say, the most common intervention is the right of the partner, the spouse and the partner or spouse not being properly looked after over the will. But the other one that comes up is where a child isn't properly looked after. And this, what prompted me to look at this was that there was a case uh, literally, uh, when was it? It was, I think, yeah, February of this year which was handed down by the Court of Appeal. Now you may remember I said, without trying to bore you about it, but the the system, the court system in Ireland is that you have most cases will come into the circuit court so circuit court is is the one where the majority cases end up and then the bigger ones if you like go into the high court and then if you're not happy with the circuit court decision you have a right of appeal by and large and the right of appeal will go to the high court the next one up if you know what I mean and in the case of the high court it used to always be the way that it would then go to the supreme court but then they introduced what we now have, which is the Court of Appeal, which is the next one up from the High Court, and the Supreme Court is left only for very high-powered policy-changing, law-changing law. Is the kind of general kind of thrust to what gets mm. into the like constitutional court. stuff. Oh well, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. constitutional stuff, as you call it, would be very, very changing, as in could have a huge influence. So the Court of Appeal is now becoming, if you like, the kind of benchmark to to, to a large extent as to what's happening in any particular area. So there was a judgment handed down by Maura Whelan uh, in in the Court of Appeal in February, dealing with the whole area of what we call in the trade uh, Section 117, which is a claim by a child. Uh, if you like, against the wishes of the pers- of the parent saying that the parent didn't make proper provision for them in their will. And this is kind of allied to a couple of other areas that often come up when you're talking about wills. And the other area that you'll often hear of is either testamentary promise or promissory estoppel or unjust enrichment or something like that. So there's there's kind of an area out there where you're dealing with a situation where the courts will actually go in to change the will because they consider that equity as injustice is on the side of the person making the claim. The section 1171 is often taken with a promissory estoppel type case, but it's not restricted to that. And the reason that it's not restricted to it is you can have a situation that would arise where... There wasn't a promise made as such. There wasn't an expectation created as such. But, if you like, justice would dictate that the court, that this individual child should be catered for and wasn't catered for. So the question that arises there is, what exactly are we looking at? You know, when will it it apply and when will it not apply? Now, one of the issues that certainly has kind of exercised my brain, what's left of it over the last period of time, is the impact of a kind of a general rule that applies when you're dealing with estates. And that is that the general rule is that the costs of the proceedings will come out of the estate. Now, in the case of a section 117 case, that does not necessarily apply. So if you like, it doesn't complicate the issue to as great an extent as it might in the case you know, in the in the case of somebody just simply contesting a will. Because this is not contesting, if you like, how the will was made. Mm. It's actually contesting the wishes of the test, the person who's making the will, saying that those wishes weren't correctly implemented, if you like. Right. And that if you were a prudent parent you would do otherwise, is the is the logic of it. So this particular case that we're talking about involves An interesting one, because it kind of comes to the core of the question that that comes up when you're looking at section 117. And that is, if the parent makes a will that you might think, or other people might think, or the majority of people might think, or in fact the court might think wasn't really fair... Will the court do something about it and say, well, actually, no, we don't think this will is fair, we're going to actually change it? And the answer to that question quite clearly is, and has been over the last number of years, no, it's not the job of the court to, if you like, to get into the shoes of the parents and take on this kind of, you know, objective role of what's a prudent parent so that's the first kind of point that's made. And the interesting thing in this particular case that we're looking at, and I'll give you a kind of rough kind of rundown of the facts insofar as I remember them. Uh, the There were two brothers basically contesting the situation. One brother went off at 17 and joined the priesthood. And when he joined the priesthood, While he was in the priesthood, he was fully educated and went on the missions and then gave up the priesthood after 19 years or so in the order that he was in. And having given up the priesthood, he then married and he had children and the children were now adult children and there was no dependency with the children, if you know what I mean. And this child of the person who made the will, the, the son stroke brother, he was a, you know he's an adult he was forty or he was obviously more than forty he was fifty years of age or more, and he was fully educated he had chosen his path in life he had switched that path to another one and one of the interesting things or one of the interesting comments that the judge made in the court of appeal was that there was very little evidence as to how his circumstances were, there was kind of an indication that it wasn't as good as it might have been. His financial circumstances. Yes, exactly. That his circumstances were financially that they were such that, you know, he might have um, owed a certain amount of money, but the court was saying, well, we weren't really sure as to what he owed or what he didn't owe. He owned a house, he had a mortgage, he was married, his wife worked, his children were grown up. So it was an adult child, if you like. And we're all children, no matter whether we're adults or not. But it was a, an adult we were talking about, yes. it wasn't a child. So the very first question that would come into your mind there is: Does Section One One Seven govern an adult? You know, will you know? Can you, as a fully grown uh, child, if you like, whose major way in life, can you make a claim under Section One One Seven?
0: And sorry, the, the will obviously gifted the other brother in some yes, way, did it? Yes, right? Yes. Okay.
1: The will basically looked after. The will looked after. One of the brothers, uh, there were other siblings, but the, the, it looked after one more mm. than the other, yes. if you know. Mm. But the the it was the classic situation, actually, the factual situ- situation that you're looking at. It was the situation where the other brother, if you like, the brother who got most of what was under, was left by the mother. Now, the interesting thing was that the father... Had predeceased the mother, if i 'm not confusing things, had died before the mother, mm-hmm. and the father 's will had left everything equally among the children, so the father's will uh, and so this was one of the points that was being made by the child who was making the claim, if you know what I mean right. was that look, if you look at my father 's will, my father had looked after us all uh, you know equally or as equally as you could, and the the argument being that's the way to do things. He had done it, right. as the prudent parent could have done. The mother, on the other hand, who was left everything under what is the standard husband and wife will, she had been left everything, and she then made a will. But in her will, she left the lion's share, which was basically a public house, to, like, it was a business. The, the father was involved, uh, i.e., the... the I'm going to say their father, we called the father, the the husband who had died. Yes. He had run a pub business, put it into company, run it for quite a number of years. And really, all that was involved in the estate, was in the estate that was left was the pub. Mm-hmm. So the pub was left, surprise, surprise, to the son who had worked the pub. Right. So right. it was your, you know, it's not an unusual situation right. in a farm, in a business situation. Right. So
0: there was an understanding there and... Probably with
1: good good point. The 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 case wasn't grounded on the fact that there was an understanding there. Ah. Because you see, interestingly enough, uh, that's exactly the point is that you'll often get a claim under what we call Section 117, if you don't mind me using the term, but you'll often get a claim under Section 117, which is a claim that basically says, look, I'm a child of the person who made the will. I haven't been looked after properly. Uh, the the will must be changed in order to reflect how I should be looked after. Whereas, as you say, the promise scenario, or the underst- the understanding is one thing, but a promise is another thing. So you can have also, which we'll maybe look at next week, you can also have a situation like the Naylor case, I think it's called the Naylor case, which is a temporary case, where you might have a child who is specifically told during, you know, over years, oh, by the way, the farm is yours or the pole is yours or whatever. This wasn't the case in this case. In this particular instance, in this case but in this particular instance you weren't looking at a situation where the claim was well I was promised it so therefore mm. I should have got it mm. because I was promised it and should have got it as you can think if you think about it often arises where you don't get it okay, okay do you I'm follow you. me yes. so it's very much more the case of you know You were there, you worked the farms from a very young age, Uh, you know you were promised all along that you were going to get it and then suddenly the will pops up and what happens? The farm is divided equally between all of your siblings, none of whom may or may not have been involved on the farm. That is grounded on the promise and you're trying to actually change the terms of the will on a different basis. What I'm talking about here is where you have a will which leaves you out But there was never a promise or an understanding as such. You're simply saying, look, a prudent parent wouldn't do that. And therefore, I'm making a claim that the will of the courts intervene.
0: Let me take a break. Um, This is the usual cliffhanger till we find out (laughs) did the former priest (laughs) get a (laughs) share in the business or not? Okay, right, we're back in a moment. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. All right, you're welcome back. John Lynch from Lynch Solicitors is still with me in studio. Could we just clarify the father, first of all? When yes. he died, he left a will, uh, leaving everything to the mother. But he specified in that that the, the children, adults that they are it would be divided evenly
1: among them that's your classic what we call we call it classic it sounds like it's it's not an unusual will that's made is that you have a husband and wife or partners and you leave it so I leave it to my wife if my wife dies before me then other provisions come into play so the other provisions that come into play are that I might divide it equally among my children Or not, depending on what the circumstances are. So, but those provisions will not kick in unless my wife dies before me. If she doesn't die before me, then they're gone. They're at nothing. So in this particular case, father made the will, left everything to his wife, but if the wife died before him, then the children will get everything equally. So
0: his wishes were that the children... His wishes were,
1: and it was on that argument if you like that they were trying to hang the section 117 argument right. in other words they're saying here's a perfect example of how we should have been looked after and therefore we think you as the court should step in and do that and the the the, the case really is interesting from the point of view that the court said no that's nothing to do with it at all and we're we're not going to look at the previous well That that it's not up to us to judge between the parents and say which one was the better one. We're simply going to look at this on the basis of what they consider, were the standard criteria that you'd look at when you're talking about contesting a will. Be-
0: because the father's intention then had no jurisdiction over this. At Correct. All right.
1: Okay. Which raises a which raises a very interesting scenario because you see and this is what makes wills so interesting and so difficult and so is in our modern day now if you're looking at a situation where you know you're dealing with for example children of special needs and how you deal with children of special needs. There, that's the classic case where you must make a will, you must set up a trust for the child, you must make sure that if something happens to you that somebody else can step into your shoes and look after the child. Because obviously if the child... And there was a particular case, actually, there was an interesting case that was about, I, I think it was 2015, which involved a scenario where one of the children and I'm digressing here now but as an example of where mm. section 117 mm. will apply, because I'm sure you and your listeners want to know what happened in this case with the priest, whether his <laughs> prayers were heard or not but um, in the <coughs> in a scenario that combined all of the circumstances that arise in modern life not all of them but quite, quite a common one The father was estranged from the mother of the children. The father had, I think, two strokes within the last four or five years of his life. He was in a new relationship. Um, The new partner lived with him for the last three years and she said in her evidence that she minded him for those last three years. Um, He made a will which was different to one he'd made previously, but he made a will. And in his will, now sorry, just come back a little bit, he had a child who had suffered from epilepsy, I think, but as a result of that was totally and utterly incapable of looking after own affairs, in which case the court actually made her a ward of court, which is will often happen where you're dealing in a situation where if the parents uh, are no longer there the child there is only one avenue at the moment open and that is to make the child a ward of court now uh, you know that's something we can probably cover again mm. in more mm. detail later but as a general rule then you'd try and make provision for that to make sure it didn't happen right. but in this particular case no provision was made for the child and the child was covered in the will but only in a very very cursory way it was kind of a share divided among all the children but and included the partner in it as well. So what the court was faced with was the child who was under a disability wasn't really looked after at all and the court actually took the view that everybody accepted that the child wasn't properly looked after and that that was definitely something that needed to be dealt with and addressed. So that's kind of a clear-cut example of a section 117 where it would be a kind of a... Dare I say, a kind of an, a given mm. that you would uh, you would you would say that that's something that should have been addressed. The other thing was in that particular case, the husband in around the time he made the will, this obviously would lead to all sorts of arguments, as you can imagine, suspicions at the time. But uh, the husband. Transferred. Sorry, we won't say the husband. The, the father transferred the home, the fa- the home that he was living in, into the joint names of himself and his partner, which meant that that pulled that asset out of the will altogether, because if you put. A property into joint names uh, on the assumption that it's what we call tenants, not a tenancy in common, but a joint tenancy, again something for maybe another programme, but by and large most assets that are held jointly mm. like the family home, for example, between a husband and wife, are usually held as joint tenants, which means that the principle of just a crescendo I love saying that, that's the Latin term for if the, the interest accelerates so in other words, that if you had five people holding a property as joint tenants number if you have five of them, if one dies, then it goes to the other four four three mm. two one bang mm. so it accelerates up and increases when it hits number one so number one gets it all, if you know what I mean so in this particular case, the partner got the house and as well as getting the house then under the will um the other the other children then just shared a a very small pot by reason of the fact. Now, he also made a very unusual will insofar as he also gave to the sons two assets which were subject to planning permission and he made it a condition of the will that if they didn't get planning permission... Or something that if it didn't get planning permission, that they wouldn't get the asset. So he made a kind of conditional gift as well. well so he made a bit of a horlicks right, of the will right. really, uh, which brings me right back to my very first point. It's very important to actually, when you make a will, to give it the time that's required to make sure. Mm. And the more complex the scenario, the more important it is that you do it. So did she lose out? She did. What he did, when you say, did she lose out, do you mean, did the partner lose yes, out? Yes, did the partner yes, lose out? Yes, I yes, a yeah, big yeah. friend. Yeah, no. The part, what happened, what he did was, he gave 50% of the... What he did, what he did, what the judge did, was, first of all, she got the house, so she didn't lose out to 100% of the Oh, she me. kept the house, did but she? But she got the house because she was joint tenant. Right, so that so was she a got done got deal that anyway. anyway. That was yeah. a done deal. You couldn't disturb that one, if you okay. know what I mean. But what he then did was... He said because there's two parts to a Section 117 application. The first part is the court has to decide, number one, is there a failure in the moral duty of the parent to the child? If you tick that box and say there is, then the next step is for, it, is for the court to, to decide what they're going to do about that. In other words, how are they going to change right. it? In this particular case... On memory, how they changed it uh, is, and I can't do the division for you. But what they did was they split it. He split it fifty-fifty. He took fifty percent of the cash value of the estate. So he said, "Right, liquidate everything." So when you liquidate everything, then you'll arrive at a figure. When you arrive at that figure, take fifty percent of it and give that to the, the child. With, with disabilities, yes. So that goes there. So fifty percent goes there to her, and yeah. then the balance of it was divided equally between all of the children and the partner. So good judgment. What, yeah, a good, good judgment. Well, yeah, you you would agree with it that it was yeah. a reasonable approach to take. And but interesting enough, right? Let's come back to the right, priest. Come back to the priest <laughs>
0: because we're all waiting on this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but yeah. uh, if we come back to the priest, what happened in the priest's scenario was and this is I'll give you the result first Mm. What what the court decided was no, the priest had made his choice in life had gone down the road he'd gone down the parents had done the okay, they hadn't educated him because one of the criteria that will often come up is that, you know Instead of giving the farm... They'll to, educate them. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, you'll educate yeah. all the daughters, yeah. and you give them a couple of bob, and you give them a site or whatever, and that's not been denigrating of that, but you know mm. what I mean? Yeah. So the parent takes on that, and then when it comes to the farm or the business, they will then give the business to the person who's worked the business. Right. So in this particular case, the the, the son involved who if you like, was was making the argument that proper provision hadn't been made for him. In fact he he also made the argument that there was a promise there as well, which is back to the point that you raised earlier. He also made he made so he actually made within this case he made two arguments. He made proper provision hasn't been made for me, number one, and number two, I was promised it. So he won on both counts. The court said yes he was promised it and the whole uh, I always tried to think of what, uh, there was a, a kind of a, you know, what what's the term? No, not, I can't think of how you pronounce it, but there's a, the way they do it was, you have to have, uh, in order for a stop to work, you have to have certain things, you have to have an, insur- an assurance, a, a, a reliance, yeah, and a detriment. So you have to have those three mm. criteria, and the court decided that there, in this right. instance, that so the was. former priest
0: lost out completely.
1: I'm afraid he did. He did, and well, and and who paid the,
0: the 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 legal fees?
1: The estate. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the interesting thing, and I'll cover that again on another occasion because the courts are turning. With that particular uh, scenario, the courts are taking the view now, and there was it happened actually in in I think it happened if I'm not I could be mistaken here, but I think it happened in the Naylor case. Was that the court took the view that the case that was being made by the applicant that when they looked at it, and again the percentages might be wrong here, but the court looked at it and said, okay, two thirds of the argument. Was okay and sustainable, and there was a good logic in it, but one third of it wasn't. So the court actually disallowed costs in one third of the action. So the courts are now not automatically doing it. All oh, right, that's court, what I was wondering.
0: Because if something was vexatious in some way, yeah, then, exactly, would, yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. So, but that's the extreme. But yeah, in this particular case, it wasn't even so much that it was vexatious, mm. but the court actually said, Well, wait a second now, anybody looking at this would realize that there was no basis for it right. and you pursued it for 2 days of of a 14 day hearing, or whatever it was. Do you know what I mean? And the court in that case says, well, no, we won't allow those costs. So that's a factor now that's coming it's into us.
0: Very interesting. Would you take a query for me before we go, John? Yeah, we'll uh, what if a husband uh, dies? Uh, no, that's not the one I wanted to bring you. In fact, it was the other one. Could you ask John about, Yeah, a question for me? My special needs son is turning 18 this year. He's like a three year old and mm-hmm. cannot make decisions for himself. I don't want the state making decision, decisions for him. So can I become his guardian, says B.
1: Yes, it, well it depends on the relationship, but I'm assuming it's child.
0: Right, it, it, it's, it's yes, some, so I would have yeah, thought you yeah, would be automatically. They are
1: automatically guardians, yeah, guardian. they are automatically guardians and when a child is under a disability you continue to be a guardian of the child, continue to make decisions for them.
0: Right, and another quick one, if you could, what if a husband dies in test and uh, then the wife goes ahead and leaves everything to one of the children, what um, What does that mean for the others
1: of that? That's a a loaded question, because to a certain extent, that's down to... So if the husband dies without making a will, that means that under that will, then two-thirds, one-third, two-thirds will go to the wife, one-third will go to the children. That's what happens with no will. That's what happens with no will. So that's, that's what happens on the death of the husband. Two-thirds, one-third. One-third will automatically go to the children. Two-thirds will go to the wife. So if the wife leaves a will uh, and leaves everything to one child, that opens the whole panoply of questions. Was there undue influence? Uh, Was there duress? Was proper provision made? And that comes right back to the very question that we're talking about. Was there a promise in the case of any of the children? Was there any, you know, was there a contribution made by any of the children? It needs to be reflected or should have been reflected. So that opens all of the questions we're talking about.
0: All right, John, great to see you. Thanks thanks very very much, much, John Lynch from Lynch, solicitors.